The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then Jesus said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so welcome to the stewardship season. Um, if you've, if you've been a part of stewardship efforts at other churches, you, you, you may be familiar with uh, the variety of ways that congregations may go about tackling this annual time of gratitude and fundraising. There's the, uh, the give us money approach, like here are the church's financial needs, so pony up. <laughs> there is the duty-based approach. The Bible says give, so give, right? There's the pray and pay approach. If we pray hard enough, we won't have to ask for pledges because the money will just come rolling in, right? Or maybe there's the assessment approach. Just let us know your adjusted gross income and we will figure your pledge for you. <laughs> that, that actually happens in some other faith traditions. Uh, our approach is a little different. Um, I think there is a lot that will bless you over these next five weeks, actually. And I, and I don't want you to miss it, because um, it's not straightforward, here's the need, give us money. So, so we've offered a, a road map, sort of, uh, in the column, on, on the cover of the bulletin, and in the messenger this week. But I want to give you a quick overview, too, of what's coming. So the, the theme is going deep and going wide to find God's peace. And so we'll be offering several resources to sort of help on that journey. Here in worship, we're beginning today a sermon series titled, Is It Well With My Soul? And we're kicking that off by asking, do I have worth? So in these sermons, we'll be asking God questions that, you know, maybe keep us up at night, which certainly beats trying to wrestle with them on our own. And then after each of these sermons, um, you, will, you will hear an interview with a St. Andrew's member who's tapping into God's love and the peace that it brings through the life of the church. So, for example, today we'll hear from Sarah Welch, a relatively new member who came into St. Andrew's through classes and discussions in our adult formation ministries and who is now helping to lead them. And then a final resource that you'll have is a, a daily prayer and scripture guide. 
looks like this, inviting us to still the anxiety of our lives by reflecting on God's love. And those are tied to those readings and, and, and prayers are tied to the sermon from the Sunday before. So today, you know, the sermon asks, do I have worth? Well, the readings and prayers for the week to come will help us remember that, yes, actually God loves us unconditionally. And, and what greater worth could you ask for? So you'll find these readings and prayers um, in this booklet, which will be coming to you in the mail, along with the rest of your stewardship packet this week, um, as well as St. Andrew's uh, daily social media posts and the website. And then at the end of the season, <clears throat> the end of these five weeks, we'll ask you to make a financial pledge, an estimate of your giving for 2024 to support God's work in this place. So what does that have to do with finding peace, you might ask? To me, at least, it, it's sort of a sequential thing. It works like this. The, the church is like an app on your phone. I mean, a, a resource for tapping into the peace that the world cannot give. And the more you use it, the, the more peace you find. And the more peace you find, the more gratitude you feel. And the more gratitude you feel, the more you want to give back, both in thanksgivings for, or thanksgiving for your blessings and to support the church's work to bless others. So anyway, for today, like I said, the first question in this sermon series is, do I have worth? Now, I, I did a little looking uh, for ways that the world around us conceives of of self-worth, what makes it up. <laughs> you probably won't be surprised to know there is a psychological instrument for measuring the contingencies of self-worth, showing us maybe where we tend to look to, to gauge our own value. And the, the sources of our self-worth fall on a, or in a range, sort of from more extrinsic to more intrinsic. Categories like personal appearance, and approval from others, success in academics, success in competition, <clears throat> family support, the practice of virtuous behavior, and an awareness of God's love. Now, the, the instrument doesn't make judgments about these different contingencies of self-worth. It just lets you identify where yours lie. Now, unfortunately, I could not find a convenient online version of this instrument, which is maybe just as well, because if I had, you'd be doing it on your phone while I'm up here. <laughs> but if you're curious, you can download it from the URL in the bulletin or on the, on the screen. I mention this <clears throat> because it illustrates the different places we might look to gauge our worth. I mean, I am no psychologist, but I would bet my next paycheck that those who find their self-worth in appearance or in approval from others probably have a less peaceful life than those who find their self-worth in virtuous behavior or the love of God. To me, at least, seeing our worth is about claiming our true identity and the blessings that flow from that. And I think we get a glimpse of that from our readings today. Now, they are not explicitly about such a modern construct as self-worth, but, but instead about the true source of our value. So, in the Gospel reading, 
Jesus is, is still confronting the religious authorities, as he's been doing over several weeks. Um, and, and here they're trying to get him sent to prison. They've joined forces with the, the lackeys of King Herod, himself a lackey of the emperor in Rome. And they're, and they're trying to get Jesus to indict himself by preaching against paying taxes to Rome. But Jesus beautifully avoids the trap by rejecting the either-or sense of the question, <clears throat> stepping outside of the false choice by turning the whole thing around. Sure, Jesus says, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, the coins bearing his name and face, okay. But give to God the things that are God's. And what are those things? <laughs> In one sense, those things are everything. In fact, as, as God says in the reading <clears throat> from Isaiah this morning, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I, the Lord, do all these things. So you could say that what we should give to God is everything. But what I find amazing, really, in that Isaiah reading is where God goes with this overwhelming authority. I mean, I am the Lord and there is no other, and I know you by name. You may not fully know me, but I know you, God says. I am love, and I, and I made you in love, and I will use you to bless the world with love. And it's just amazing, the sovereign of the universe being willing to come to us to begin the relationship. But that's what love does. So you know, if we're called to give to God the things that are God's, I think the most fundamental thing you can give <clears throat> is relationship. Returning that love that comes to you as a beloved child of the one who knows you by name. <laughs> Well, contrasting with that source of our worth, we have the culture around us insisting <clears throat> that it has the power to define our value. So the culture says our worth comes from our possessions or our assets or our power. The culture says our worth comes from what others think of us. <laughs> culture certainly says our worth comes from how hard we work and what we achieve. That that our value is a function of our outputs. And the culture definitely says our worth comes from making it on our own, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to achieve individual success. Okay. And as, as if that weren't enough, then there's maybe the loudest voice arguing with God about our worth, which is our inner critic. That voice that tells us that we're an imposter who will never be good enough anyway, right? It, isn't it amazing and a little tragic how we can hear, you know, ten affirmations of our talent and, and, and maybe even begin to accept it, but just one well-placed criticism affirms the inner critic and sucks the wind out of the sails of our self-worth. Well, here's a way maybe to see our worth differently. <laughs> a perspective from a higher authority than the culture or the inner critic. Think about this. 
According to the principles of economics, you know, how do we assess something's value? Well, the, the market tells us value is the price that someone's willing to pay for a good or service, right? Okay, so imagine that someone is God and the good being paid for is you. What price is God willing to pay for you? Well, the calculation works regardless of the theology of the atonement that you prefer. I mean, you could say the Father sent the Son to suffer and die and pay the debt for our sin, a debt we could never pay for ourselves. Or you could say God took human flesh and dwelt among the lowest of the low, enduring constant oppression and unimaginable suffering to share the love that gives us eternal life. Or you could say God went to war with the forces of evil, dying in order to vanquish sin and death, to win a battle we could never win for ourselves. However it is that you see Jesus' work to redeem us, the message is the same. You are of ultimate value to the sovereign of the universe. You are worth dying and rising for because God loves you enough to pay the ultimate price for you. That sounds pretty good, right? Maybe a little hard to believe. <laughs> so how do we come to believe that ourselves? How do we come to take that in? Well, I think it's by walking the pilgrimage of faith. You know, going deeper with God and coming to know God's love one to one. It, it's this journey of being formed into the person God's created you to be. Coming more and more to spiritual maturity, as Ephesians says, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. The church calls that process Christian formation. And it happens all along and all across our lives. And it happens explicitly through ministries here that give us the chance to go deeper in relationship with God through learning and prayer and sharing with others. I mean, we're formed into the full stature of Christ through things like Bible studies and book groups and discussion opportunities. You know, classes and podcasts and daily scripture reading and daily prayer and contemplative practice. All those formation opportunities point us toward the God who sees such worth in us. The God gave up the distance of divinity, paying the ultimate price to let you know how deeply you are beloved. And what does God ask in return? Really, just that you return the favor, <laughs> making your own effort to bridge that gap between humanity and divinity, giving back to God the ultimate gift, like the best you can offer, the gift of your love.